Hey, Warners, welcome to another episode of The Women Your Mother Warned You About, brought to you by Sales Gravy and salesgravy.university. I don't know if you've checked it out, but you should. If you're trying to upscale, it is a great tool for salespeople. We have almost 300 courses on demand live. I've got a bunch of courses on there. And hey, I don't even think you need to necessarily be in sales. If you're in business and you're trying to up level, like I've got a course on selling with confidence, you can use that for every aspect in business. So we've got some really cool things there. Go check that out at salesgravy.university. And let's get started with today's show. I am so excited about today's show. Uh, I met this woman through a group that I belong to called Renegades. Renegade Women, amazing group of women that I'm part of. And who I'm bringing here today is Yukemi. And kind of like Oprah, but better. I'm not going to say her whole name, we're going to stick to you, Kemi, because that's the best I can do. But let's talk about her. She is a leadership development expert and an engaging keynote speaker. She just walks in the room and she has a presence. She doesn't even need to speak. That is the presence that she has. She draws from her vast experience working with Fortune 500 companies, national law firms, universities, local governments, and specialized agencies of the United Nations in speaking, advocating, and writing about how Immigrant inclusion leadership yields innovation, promotes business growth, and transforms workplace culture. Honestly, I've never even heard about immigrant inclusive leadership. So I'm super excited because I love to learn. She's an immigrant herself. She's, Yukemi's work is informed by her unique perspective as, okay, wait, I don't feel good enough here. Mechanical engineer with an MBA and a lawyer. What? who has lived and worked in eight cities across three countries, she leaves any crowd she speaks to inspired by the impact they can have on our future and ready to leave fearlessly. I am so excited to welcome you to the show, Yukemi. Gina, thank you. <laughs> Sometimes when my bio is read, I'm like, who are they talking about? And then I'm like, oh, <laughs> right. I know. I, I hate having my bio right in front of me. It just feels awkward. I am... Um, my publisher for my book has an internet web TV show. And she, I was on the show a few weeks ago and she introduced me and she read the bio. And afterwards I go, who wrote that? Because it's really good. And I'm pretty sure I didn't write it. She, she said, oh, someone on her team rewrote it. I'm like, copy of it? Because it tells me really what the power of writing. I'm so excited to have you here today. There's so many things I want to talk to you about. Gosh, okay. So here's where I'm going to start because I love storytelling and I love story. Mm. And I feel like people share, we're going to learn so much more and have this richness when we have a little bit of the story. So I know you're an immigrant. I don't know much more about that. I know you wrote this really cool book, Immigrit. Love the title, Immigrit, Supercharging Company Culture with Immigrant Leadership. I want to talk about that. So there's so much I want to talk about. But let's talk about Yukemi. Who is she? Where'd she come from? Just a little bit about you and all this mechanical engineer, MBA, lawyer. Tell us a little bit about you. Well, Gina, first of all, thank you. Thank you for having me on your podcast. I absolutely love the title, Women Your Mother Warned You About. That's I have certainly become one. That's exciting. Well, I, I immigrated to the United States at the age of 18 to attend college, right? Mm-hmm. It was a very unique opportunity for a female to be coming to college in the United States, right? Nigeria, 
colonized by the Brits. Women, we go to school, but we end up married the traditional path. Mm -hmm. And having been one of four girls was just all about women empowerment. He's educated himself. My mom did not get her education till later on in life because as a young Black girl in Nigeria, she could only go but so far just to get her English and to understand writing. That was it. They invested money more in the men. So coming to school in the United States was a great opportunity. And I immigrated here, went to the University of Maine. Obviously, when you come here from so far away, there's only a short list of things you can be that are acceptable for your parents to be investing all that money in and a girl. So the list, doctor, engineer, lawyer. So I chose engineering. I went to math camp growing up. I didn't go to band camp, a kind of a STEM kid. My dad's a biochemist himself, so was very big on STEM and graduated from college of mechanical engineer. But when you when you immigrate here at 18, you just have this world of dreams. You think you can be anything and that's fine. But as an immigrant, some of those are limited by immigration policies, immigration visas. Where yeah. can you work? Where can't you work? And that hit hard yeah. after I graduated, right? I Bet. didn't have the same unlimited opportunities. Yeah as my other classmates that were born in this country. And the question always came up, could I have gone back to Nigeria or stayed here? Absolutely. But I made the decision to stay here because of, again, the freedoms that kind of came with being a female mechanical engineer in this country. And so I started my career as an engineer and then pivoted probably about six, seven years in to deciding I I don't know that I want to be an engineer for the rest of my life. I loved it in school. I still think very much in mathematical, everything has a process. Everything has some math behind it. I still think that way. But as I thought about impact and as I thought about the clothes I preferred to wear, <laughs> law <laughs> and the shoes I preferred to wear, law was just a better fit for me. <laughs> let's be real. <laughs> I know. Let's be real. Let's be real. Law was just a better fit for me. And uh, I had run out my work visa at that point. And had I was at just at a very pivotal point as an immigrant deciding what I wanted to do. So I decided to restart the clock and I went to law school. And now I'm a lawyer. I'm an innovation lawyer, which basically just means I help bring new products and services to market. So I still work with engineers and scientists and people that invent things. And so it's kind of a nice symbiotic relationship where I'm on the other side of what I used to do. Yeah. And about, well, yeah, two years ago now, added another thing to my world that I just never anticipated, but it has been so fun to think about changing systems. And that is I ran for office and became an elected official for my city and get to help shape policy and draft ordinances that impact our city in the future. That is so awesome. And what city is that? The city of Upper Arlington, it is a suburb of Columbus, just about uh, 10 miles northwest of Columbus, Ohio, Buckeye okay. State, go Bucks for any football players. H-I-O. And so it's about, we're about 36,000 residents, 105-year-old city. So great city. I love Columbus. I have driven through Columbus quite a few times when I lived in Chicago on my way to Cleveland. Columbus is a great city. Oh, it really is. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Okay, so we got that going on. Now, when you immigrated, did did mm. you come by yourself or, or did your family come with? Where's your family? I did. I okay. did. Now, I had flown before, but I have never flown alone, right? You were flying with your parents. But the way things worked out, there were other kids at home that my parents had to get off yeah. to school. Yeah. And I just had to come by myself. Yeah. And so I braved that journey. Are they still there or did they follow you? Yes. So my parents, they're still there. They now split their time because all my sisters at some point ended up on this side of the Atlantic. We all came to college here in the United States. One sister has immigrated back. Okay. She's done the reverse. So she went back to Nigeria after working here for a few years. She decided to go back. And two of my sisters are here, one in Atlanta and the other in Houston. So we all just kind of found our ways, made our mark. And yeah. I love it. So when your parents are on this side, it's like, oh my gosh, so many cities, so many daughters, so many cities. Yes, (laughs) correct. My gosh. And they sure do make the trip and we're fortunate that they are in great health and are able to to do that. Yeah, that that is so great. So I don't know which to tackle first. Let's talk about the book because Mm -hmm. things that came up for me, right? The book really covers this why immigrant leadership matters for a thriving Mm -hmm. company culture. And I'd like to dive into it, plus the inspiration behind that, because again, I never think about, I think about all these other DEI things going on in the world and underserved and things like that. But then immigrant, right? And that covers like a whole other spectrum because my mom was an immigrant. And so I understand that some of the immigrant struggle of what it was like for her to come to this country as a German in the 1950s, post-World War II, being called a Nazi, not speaking the language, a very religious family, and having to adapt and having all these challenges coming up. And there's all kinds of immigrant stories out there. But why this book? What inspired it? And why does this help a company culture thrive? Just your mom's story almost encompasses what what really inspired that book, right? And while as immigrants, we're not a monolithic group by any means, and I say right. this in the book, we're not a monolithic group, but we all share this similar experience of coming to a new country, and it doesn't have to be the United States, any country that you immigrate to, right? Coming to a new country that forces rapid adaptability, right? Mm-hmm. It takes, doesn't matter what your socioeconomic status is when you come, it takes a great deal of understanding resourcefulness, right? Building new networks. All these are the greatest skills that you need in leaders. And yet there is something like 3% of Fortune 500 CEOs are immigrants, and which is kind of like crazy for a country that is the land of immigrants, right? The United uh-huh. States led the movement on yeah, immigrants, right, right. right? And yet we don't see it reflected in our company culture. But back to what inspired the book. So after I had won my election, it was a historic election. I was the first person of color elected in my city's 103-year-old history. That led to the distinct honor of the school, University of Maine, which I immigrated here to attend, calling me and asking me to give the commencement speech in 22, right? Wow. That 2022, so this was last year, that 2022 commencement um, speech involved the 2020 and 2021 classes, which for those of us that have short-term memory that don't remember 2020, it was COVID. (laughs) Pretty much these graduates did not have a traditional college experience 
did not have the traditional graduation. And so this graduation was formed for them. So I gave the commencement speech to this audience. And as I thought about my speech and relatability, right, and the fact that they had to adapt rapidly, right, learn how to, there was already some kind of online class, but not in the scale that these students had to learn it, right? It just put me back in my space as as an immigrant when I came to this country and just Luckily, I was fortunate enough to speak English, but I speak with an accent. What about people that don't speak English and have to learn it, right? All these things. So I'm telling them my story and relating it to theirs in terms of how quickly they've had to shift. And I charged them with this understanding that it is a superpower, right? And as they enter the workplace, to never kind of lose that understanding that this is the additional things that they bring to the workplace. And those additional things Now, 25 years later, when I immigrated here, I can say are, in fact, leadership competencies. So I get off that commencement stage and a slew of international students come up to me as well as as other students. But I was particularly taken by the international students that came to me and had this aha, a lot of aha moments where they thought about their immigrant experience as surviving. Like just what I have to do and not as arming them with leadership competencies and not as their superpowers as they're working, walking into the workplace. And I, and I realized that for me as well, even though now I can, I, I know it is one of my superpowers. I realized that I, I didn't think that way too when I was in their shoes, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It took kind of like reiteration in the workplace to understand this. And so I went looking for a book to recommend to them (laughs) because this is how I mentor. And there was a lot of books written on how to change the immigrant themselves and not a lot written to leaders to understand. And you see, we do this all the time, right? We seek to change people rather than change systems. And we have the biggest impact when we change the systems that influence people, right? And so that's really what led me to pen this book. I love that. Changing the systems. Yes. Right? We don't really, I don't think we think about that so much. We're just always in that mindset of like, if the people could change, if we could change their behavior, but it really is about changing the system. Yes. And the systems influence the people. Right. And when we do that, we start to influence the change that we want in the people. So powerful. So you see there's no book. You see a need for it. You put yourself out there and you're like, I'll write the book to help yes. these leaders. And there's a couple of things I want to jump on. Number one, because it was interesting that you pointed out, and I think this is this can this is universal, right? I don't think it's just about immigrants either. Is sometimes we don't see our own attributes that we bring to the table, or we don't see our own competencies. But you add the immigrant piece to it, and thinking about yourself back when you were in college and not seeing your own value, maybe or your own competency. That's one component of like helping them with that. But in your perspective. What are the other attributes that they bring to the table that organizations could benefit from? It's 
This, I talk about this in the book as well. And this idea, because we have an idea of what we think a leader should look, sound, and like, right? Mm-hmm. When you ask any leader, oh, what are you looking for in, in leadership? It's always this, je ne sais quoi. We'll say, well, I know <laughs> it when know I it. see it. I know it when I see it. I feel it in my bones. <laughs> you got You've got to sound a certain way, right? We got to act a certain way. Now, that sound a certain way impacts immigrants the most because we have an accent bias in this country. Yeah, 100%. And English is not a measure of intelligence. English is simply a skill. Just like you learn math, just like you learn chemistry, it is not a measure of intelligence. And so we've got to adjust, we've got to adjust that mindset. Specifically, what the immigrant brings to is when they also speak, when we let them speak the way they speak, it sounds counterintuitive, but you're more likely to actually listen and focus in when you have to pay attention. Hey, I, there are some people like we might have different prospects that we're talking with to internally. And sometimes someone will be like, I just I can't understand them. I can't understand them. And I never struggle with that with accents because it does force me to just like, just pay attention. Re- I, I watch their lips. I watch their body language. I'm really listening. And I have no problem. Now, yes. if I didn't understand, I'll just say, hey, could you say that one more time? Because I didn't quite understand it. And I'll yes. say, I can't understand your accent. right? And I'll say that. I'll say it yes. to someone down here in the South Carolina. It I can't good. understand you. Correct. And so it takes cultural intelligence. So it does two things. It forces you to listen, right? But it also builds the cultural intelligence of your organization Mm. because now you have leaders, right? That are paying attention, that are trying to understand, right? And the empathy builds within your organization because other people, right? Are opening up their ears and their hearts and all of that to be able to make this person feel a part of their team. The problem with, and it, I don't know whether it's a problem, what DNI has so many things that it is trying to accomplish and so many important things, yeah. but immigrants are lost in that conversation, right? The intersectionality yeah. of being an immigrant, right? We think our DNI covers it, but you miss the intersectionality when you try to develop me like a black woman versus a black African woman. Yeah. And, I, and then I you like went, to tease, but my first Black History Month, my first Martha Luther King January in the United States was interesting for me. Right. I knew who Martha Luther King yeah. was, but he didn't have a meaningful significance. I was just to say, like wasn't as that significant to you? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. And so you look at me facially and, <laughs> and this actually happened to me. A reporter comes up to me on campus, my first Martha Luther King because I was one of the international students, I didn't have anywhere to go. It's a long weekend and comes up and asks what Martha Luther King means to me. And there's this dead pause because I'm like, not much compared to someone that grew up here. And we went off air and the reporter and I actually had a good conversation because you miss that intersectionality when there's an automatic. Yeah, yeah. Now, if somebody asked you the question, how do you feel about Nelson Mandela? Would that have had a different impact? Very different. Right. I learned it more in history. I learned it more in my history classes, right, in Nigeria versus by learning about American history. What just wasn't 
completely relevant in where I grew up, yeah. right? And so and that's just one example, but there's just so many other examples that if we don't add immigrant to our intersectionality, to our lens and how we think through DNI, we miss it. Yeah, there's such a, we talk so much about in this world about unconscious bias, but this is a mm-hmm. whole different type of unconscious bias, right? Like, I, yeah, I, absolutely. I def, right. There's the now I've never heard of accent bias, but now I'm going to run with that. So you got accent bias, but you have this, I don't know, immigrant unconscious bias, perhaps, yeah, right? If I go too. back to, if I go back to thinking about my mom and the German side of my family, now the Italian side of my family, my dad was first generation. That makes me second, right? So, but mm-hmm. I've always said that if my grandmother, was alive today, she would be running a Fortune 500 company, no doubt. Because when I think about her attributes, just yeah. as a human, but a human impacted by the journey to America, right? Like that's another layer. She had to take care of five kids while the war was going on in Germany, in the world, right? And my grandfather was forced into being a cobbler for the Nazi soldiers, he was a nonconformist, didn't, wasn't something he wanted to do, forced into it. My grandmother had these five children. Most of them could handle themselves, but my mom was an oops baby, so she's a baby. And they're literally living from camp to camp. People don't, people aren't aware that there were Germans living in camps because they were kicked out of their homes. They did not support what was going on. You can see what's going on in the world today and what we're dealing with strife-wise and how easy it is to just make assumptions, right? And so They're going through all that, living on ration tickets, trying to find a loaf of bread, trying to survive, and then eventually make it to this country two at a time, literally, like my grandparents and my mother came together, not not speaking English. My grandfather spoke English. He spoke five languages. He spoke Russian, German, Polish, Yiddish, and English. That in itself is also a contribution, right? Right. Right? Like, amazing, right? Yes. And and then my mother gets put back a year in school. Mm -hmm. She's discriminated against. She's called a Nazi. She learns the language. She gets ahead of the class. She gets put back to where she should be. But it was all these pressures that played on her. And then if you look at my grandmother was the one holding it together, making sure that family strived. They got to this country. Somehow they found a sponsor to get them here. They followed the path. They got here. They worked it off. They worked off the the sponsorship. A doctor sponsored them, right? And that's just that entire journey, that resilience to keep pushing through. I think those are some incredible attributes that maybe companies don't think about or recognize. And of course, the rhetoric and the propaganda and immigration is a hot button issue, right? Every election cycle. Right. So it it doesn't help all the bias that comes with it. Right. But here's the thing. One in five people in the workplace by 2035 is going to be an immigrant. And we define an immigrant as someone that is growing up in that's in a country that they were not born in. Right. One in five people by 2035. So it's something that our workplaces need to figure out. They need to. They have to figure out a plan for it. So let's shift to that and talk about what are some things that business leaders can do to understand how to leverage the power of immigrant leadership to drive the innovation and the growth in an organization. What are some things that you would recommend? 
So the first things is elevate them to leadership and let them lead in their in in their style, in their because we have leadership development programs. So what are what are really leadership development programs? Or I'm trying to bite my you? I am trying to bite my tongue and not say something inappropriate about who creates you those in the leaders. way that we want you. To, yeah. Let me tell you about our leadership program for all of your leaders. This is how we're going to lead. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> you get it though, right? Yeah. So it's like those hand leadership development programs, they don't work for anyone. If anything, they're especially terrible for immigrants. Why so? You're Why not so? going to change an accent. You're not going to change an accent overnight, right? right? You're not you have to redefine what how communication happens, right? And if we understand communication basically as was the information conveyed and did you understand the information conveyed? That's all we really, that's the basics that commu- communication needs to be and not, it needs to be delivered in this certain way. It needs to be written in this style, spoken in this style for it to be seen as you've communicated. You do that and you lose an immigrant in that leadership pipeline probably 50% of the time, right? There's a lot of cultural, we've done a lot of work already in corporations around emotional intelligence, right? But not very much around cultural intelligence. And so thinking about systems, companies and leaders themselves need to start going through training on cultural intelligence, on building their intelligence. I can't tell you, and I'm not saying that everybody should know the world map, right? But I can't, Nigeria is no small place, but I can't tell you sometimes how many times I hear, oh, Nigeria, is that, how far, do you, can you drive to South Africa? We're in 2023, you know what I mean? And then I learn your geography. (laughs) So I don't know whether that starts further back in the pie, whether further back in our education system on how we, but we are becoming a global world, right? Yeah. This this is not just happening in the United States. Yeah. By the PS, the world's not flat. PS, the world is not flat, right? Canada is boosting up their immigration, right? We have seen stuff happening in Europe, like Asia, like now that talent can work from anywhere. If you want to get talent, and there is a lot of people that work virtually across continents, even in these Zoom chats, we need to be culturally intelligent, right? And it, it, it impacts even how we run from when we set up our meeting times, right? We're so like US-centric in our time. It's, yeah, like, yeah. it's like if you're going to have someone on your team from Japan, that time may not work. You may have to be the person adjusting, right? So that we come up with common grounds. So cultural intelligence is another very big part in the shift that companies need to have. So let's let's talk a little bit about attracting, retaining, advancing. I know you said like put them in leadership roles, but how do we hold this question? I'm going to come back to another thought because here's another thought Mm. that I've had that comes to me a lot. I travel a lot. I'm in a lot of Ubers and I'm in a lot of Lyfts and I have a lot of... Mm. Uber and Lyft drivers from other countries. And I'm fascinated. First of all, they have an accent and I'm always like, oh, where are you from? Like, I want to know. I'm just a curious like child. I'm like, where are you from? And then we get into a deep conversation like, how's it been living here? And how long have you been here? And just the curiosity factor, I think, helps with that cultural intelligence because 
I learned so much about the country that they're from, the path that they walked. These are people who are doctors and lawyers and engineers in their own countries that they were educated that way. Then they come to this country and they're driving an Uber. And I'm like, why are you driving an Uber with all of this talent that you have? Right. And so we don't get deep enough into the conversation because then they drop me off. But right. There's this I'm so fascinated because the talent is there. So how can companies attract the talent once they're culturally intelligent? So great point on culture intelligence. I talk about curious conversations and how you have them, right? Because those curious conversations do, in fact, boost your cultural intelligence. But on the on the attracting talent piece, I love that you I love that you mentioned this because you're drawing right into the book. I talk about another bias that we have is education bias here in the country. Yes. And it's tug in cheek, but this is just my writing style and how I am. But I say something to the effect that I don't care whether you learn the law of gravity in German, Arabic, Russian, or Bibia, which is the language I speak. The law of gravity is the law of gravity in any language, right? The human heart is in the same place in the human body in any country, right? And so whether I go to MIT to learn the law of gravity or I go to Federal University of Technology in Nigeria to learn the law of gravity, right? By the way, both schools are similar in their country, right? (laughs) Futo in Nigeria is the MIT of Nigeria, right? As you have the MIT of America and there's the MITs of China and there's the MIT of German, right? Let's get to know them. Let's understand what these educations are. And let's get rid of the fact that just because an engineering degree is not from the United States, right? Doesn't mean that this person doesn't understand engineering concepts, right? Same thing with our doctors, right? And part of the problem is our certification processes in this country. Yeah, that that um, I have heard that in an Uber. Yeah, yeah. I'll speak to the engineering one because I'm an engineer, right? There's the professional engineering uh, cert- certificate, for instance, requires that you have you got your engineering degree from a cer- American certified school or university, whatever, right? Your transcript that has to be this. Well, you're only certifying schools here. Not so. So either we have to look at the certification mm. process. Yeah, interesting. Or companies can no longer rely on certification processes to say that's what they kick out of their system. Oh, must be a PE or must be this. PE, by the way, is professional engineer, right? Must be this. Well, if you have that, means you have an education bias without whether you consciously know it mm. or don't know it. Yeah. So let's start peeling back on what it is that we're asking for in talent, right? Versus what we're getting because we have all these barriers with our systems, right? That's fascinating. So, okay, I get rid of my education bias. I become open to understanding certification throughout the world. Yes. Yes. How do I then, how do I then? Seek out or attract or bring in what are some of the things that maybe are different when it Mm -hmm. comes to attracting an immigrant versus an American or someone. Yeah. Country. Yeah. This is where I whisper to immigrants themselves to learn networking. If I put on my hat, right, I know in my countries rely so much on the application process in this country. That's interesting. Networking. That's a part of the process, right? Yeah. 
whatever your systems are for, we need to understand, we need to understand, right? And say, does this system attract or gain from the immigrant population, right? Because if networking is such a big part and someone else must have heard your name and whatever, and we don't like to admit this, we just say, oh, we have an application process to turn your application. Well, we know some places like, oh, have you heard this name before? You haven't heard this name before? Not And let's add that name <laughs> on the resume also gets immigrants kicked out. Oh, right? that's like, it. There's I, got, is that, a, is that a name bias? Would you call it that? <laughs> I now might as well just coin it that, right? You it, should. It, it also matters, right? And I know companies have already, are already doing a great job at eliminating the name and just kind of focusing on what's on the resume. But if networking is a thing, I tell a story about, and then in the interview process, right? This is really where the accent bias matters. I tell a story in my book of a colleague, a former colleague that was part of this recruiting team. And they were tasked with narrowing down the group of applicants to three people, right? So they did this for their team. They narrowed it down. And then their boss had to make the call to schedule them to bring them in for interviews. Well, one of the candidates, apparently, the, the people that narrowed down the resumes didn't know this, but one of the candidates had this accent, this thick accent. So boss calls him up and says, oh, thanks for doing the work. I had to like, I use veto powers to eliminate one because I couldn't understand her on the phone trying to schedule her in for an interview. I just don't know how she would make it through an interview process and I don't want to waste people's time. Yeah. So we were already not taking the steps they asked. Yeah. Because we can't understand people on the phone. Yeah. Okay. So one of the things that came to me through this discussion is I'll play a little bit devil's advocate if, if we want to call it that. Yeah, I think I there's got there's got to be a two way adaptation plan here. Well, of course. Because one of the one of the first things I learned the first time I went overseas, I went on my first overseas trip with a girl bunch of girlfriends, girls trip, first time to Europe. And we had this really amazing coordinator, the lady with the flag who walks around. Mm -hmm. Here we are at the Roman Coliseum, right? That lady. And she said, the first thing she said to us, you are not in your own country anymore. You yeah. are somewhere else. You're in someone else's country. You need to learn how to adapt out of respect for them because it's their yeah. country. So don't be a rude American, right? <laughs> right? Don't be a rude American about it. Try to speak the language in some way, right? So with every country we went to, like we were in the hotel room, we needed pillows. I'm like, literally, you heard all the nasty things about French people. And I got my dictionary and I'm trying in French to ask for a pillow. And it was just bad. I like could not say it. Finally, the, the woman's like, are you saying you want a pillow? All right. You spoke English the whole time and you just you threw this. Fine. But but what I learned from it was it just gave me a different sensitivity that followed me forever. And when I moved from Chicago, bustling city, Midwest, to South Carolina, where I definitely didn't fit in, I said, Gina, you're in another country. And that was a, an adapting mechanism for me to learn how to like get under someone's wing find someone to mentor me. I needed like a Southern translator. You know, we can make, a, we can joke about it, but it was the same kind of concept. So I think, well, maybe an immigrant is accustomed to a, an application process. Somewhere along the lines, there's got to be kind of a two-way give and take, right? 
recognize that they might not be networkers as an employer and as an employee, recognize that you're also adapting to a system that's not perfect or changed yet. And so maybe you need to go somewhere to learn how to network along those lines, right? I think it's got to be this two-way street of understanding. Absolutely. It always, true change happens with that two-way street. But I love your story, right? <laughs> You've, have you heard the saying, when in Rome, act like the Romans? Okay. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, that's the concept, right? But I push back sometimes on that saying to say, for tourism, I get it. Like yeah. if we're trying... Yeah. We're trying different foods. When in Rome, act like the Roman. Eat all the bread and wine that you want, right? (laughs) It works well in the context of tourism and visiting and not a permanent stay and all of that. In the concept of the workplace, right? We lean too heavily on that. Well, they're in America now. You hear it all the time, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. That's why I said this was a devil's advocate kind of thing. Yeah, they're in America now. And it like... And we have to realize most of the times that the immigrants coming to the workplace are not, quote unquote, fresh off the boat because our immigration process doesn't work that way, even though people tend to think it does. Yeah, right? Anyway. But highly skilled as and that's the big bucket that our immigration policies are targeted to getting, which is highly educated, contribute to your innovation in some way, blah, yada, yada. So they have some kind of undergraduate degree, have some kind of a work experience, that kind of stuff. In the workplace, those are generally and the high-skilled immigrants that you're getting. So we have to understand that this is already a set or a subset of, of immigrants that have been tested or put through the fire. They've yeah, yeah. gotten their American education. They've, yeah. they've, they've done all that. And so they, they have already rapidly adapted and are continuing to, right? So yeah. you need to come alongside them and help 100%. in that process without completely forcing what I call ma- making it a forced assimilation, yeah, right? Yeah. There's a 100%. difference between adaptability and forcing assimilation. Yeah. Oh, girl, that is so good. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's why I say there's got to be a little bit of a two-way street because you can't be, excuse me, I, I sometimes swear, you can't be an asshole either, right? If yes. You, right. If I think about, again, my next trip overseas to Italy, part of that trip, I was alone, traveling alone, can speak Italian. I'm on the train. The conductor starts talking to me. I don't understand him mm-hmm. for anything because he's speaking a, a different Italian. <laughs> he was speaking a dialect. He wasn't speaking the Italian I was taught to speak, higher education Italian, right? Meanwhile, there were two other people in my compartment who understood both of us and was like literally translating the Italian. Like, so. In Italian, they told the conductor she doesn't understand English. She's from America. And I was like, I just understood you. Like right now I'm talking back to them in Italian. Like I understand. I don't understand him. And and so, again, when we think about these barriers, like don't be an asshole to me because I don't understand your version of the language or your version of the culture. Bring me along with you because I'm trying. There you go. I'm trying. So have some grace Mm -hmm. and get me up to speed. That's beautiful. And that's really what it is. Hope my, my hope with this book is at least opens up 
the minds of leaders to think about practices that they've had, ways that they've dealt with situations in the past as it relates to immigrant talent, and thinking about them as leaders based on what their experience has borne for them and and letting them lead without a contrived way of saying it must be this to be leadership, right? Because the immigrant leadership is could eventually a simulation in its very nature, like over a period of time yeah. will get you there. But the initial, you got to let them be. Yeah. Do you have any advice for, we're talking about attracting, yeah. but just from a recruiting perspective, mm-hmm. I had a stint in my career as a recruiter and uh, recruiting in general is a pain, yeah. right? Especially in yeah. today's world with Indeed and LinkedIn and you get 600 resumes that come in because it's so easy for them to click apply. And so think about that from an immigrant standpoint, yeah. if an application process is their way, right? Part of it is they're never seen because our system in yeah. recruiting sucks. I've, I'm coaching some sales leaders right now, just trying to recruit in general. And I'm like, get off Indeed. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Network some more because you're never going to get through these 600 resumes. So from a recruiting standpoint, do you have any suggestions for how can they actively search, right? They read your book and they're like, you know what? We need this. Can they actively search for the immigrant? Is that even possible? One of the ideas I give is companies, and whether this is part of their corporate social responsibility or whatever, they generally have within their communities are part of these collaborations with not-for-profits or they align with certain initiatives that they're trying to further hunger, homelessness, all of those kind of things. I rarely, rarely see organizations as part of their CSR strategy or just their kind of plug in with the community. Think about New American nonprofits, refugee entry programs in the state. Columbus, for instance, has a large New American population, right? Minnesota, for instance, has one, right? But we don't see these corporations plug into okay. those non for profits because that's where the immigrant lands. Like they, they go for workforce development, right? Mm-hmm. And hope that maybe they're coming through workforce development, but Sometimes these are groups that kind of stick together or find and it's incumbent on talent managers, recruitment managers to look at creative ways to get at this population. And I think that's one of the ways to do it is to to find ways to get in with these nonprofits that do that work, that welcome them here. I don't know if you've ever been to a naturalization ceremony. I became a naturalized citizen. Gosh, what's that? It was 2017. I don't know how many years ago that was now. Time's moving fast. But I'd been to a couple of naturalization ceremonies before that. And mine was just particular. There were organizations there that I'd never heard about that support the immigrant community that were just, I was just like, this is such a rich network that more companies and corporations should should know, should learn about, should support. There's also ESL kind of programs and languages. So English as a second language that community colleges or whatever programs put on. That's another great way. Because like I say, again, English is a skill. If they're in ESL, they're already learning that skill. And it's just a matter of 
supporting through that and then giving them the experience to actually speak more. So yeah, <laughs> so um, they the, learn the skill of English. Well, awesome suggestions, because I think that's we can equip anyone in talent acquisition to find ways to find the talent. In general, it's hard to find talent. Yeah. When you think about the talent and the attributes that an immigrant does have, and that is another pool that you're not thinking about, you got to go for it. I've not witnessed the naturalization ceremony, but I've heard about my mother's because my mom mm-hmm. became a citizen in the 60s. Yeah. And but kind of the thing I remember her talking about, she's no longer with us, but she and then I had an aunt who became a citizen like at 82. I'm like, I don't know why she waited so long. And I had I'd said to my mom, I'm like, did you know that Selma got she became a citizen? I'm like, was she not a citizen? She's like, she wasn't. I'm like. Um, your brothers and sisters just told me you're the only, at the time, my mother was the only one who became a citizen. But what she shared with me is that she knew more about the country than Americans, which was funny. Absolutely. You have to take a whole test. Yes. You have an oral interview where they legitimately ask you questions like who's the president, like all this stuff, a civics test. Yeah. Yeah. Could you imagine if like we all had to go through that? You're okay. (laughs) You're born here and you should have to go through that to stay a citizen. How about that? That would be something, right? (laughs) Or you have to leave. I'm sorry. You didn't pass. We're going to ship you out. When did your book come out? Next year. Originally, we're thinking spring, but it may be June, which is Immigrant Heritage Month. Oh, timing it up with that. And listen, like the editing process, it is about to take every single hair. I I am short already. I my book comes out in June. It's a, it is a process. It's a process. It, it's longer than you think, but it's been an incredible process, incredible honor to be able to have interviewed not only immigrants for the book, but HR professionals, talent professionals. Mm. And I just, I dream of the impact that it will have. And I just hope when it comes out that it does. Well, I can't wait for you to be back when we can plug and promote the book. Well, you'll have to get oh. your podcast book tour going. I love that. That is part of the marketing. A book is a whole different. That's a whole, so. other, whole other animal. Yeah. Yes. I remember. So I will just, certainly love that. Yeah, that would be great. And before we started recording, we also started talking about personal brand in companies and how yes. does that work? And I'd love to have you back for us to have a discussion about that. You and I can work on that. I'd love to bring your friend Meta, who's now my friend. And get us into that dialogue because you are two amazing, amazingly smart women that you just like literally increase my intelligence level being in the same room with you. So we'll have you back for that. And for any of our listeners, if they want to reach out to you and keep their eye out for the book, what are the best ways to connect with you? Oh, LinkedIn is certainly the best way to do that. And I'm hopefully in the show notes, you have the link. Yeah, it'll be. We'll have Um, it in there. That's the big social media platform that I play in right now for the book. But I have a website, Uxtopia, U-K-S-T-O-P-I-A. It's a play on Ux, which is my nickname, and Utopia, Uxtopia, because there we are. We're crafting dreams and building reality. I love it. Yeah, I love <laughs> so it. I have a website that people can go join the wait list for the book and just learn a little bit about me as well. Fantastic. It has been such a pleasure and honor and fun to have you yes. on the show today. So thank you so much for making time to do this. Of course. Thanks so much for having me. This was a really fun conversation. Awesome. 
Hey, Warners, I hope you loved this episode, Something New. Hopefully you took something new away from this and check us out at womenyourmotherwarnsyouabout.com for more information about the show and check us out on YouTube because you can watch this episode. I tend to have a lot of crazy facial reactions, so you might enjoy that. Check that out. And of course, thank you to Sales Gravy and Sales Gravy University excuse me, for sponsoring this show, go check out those courses. There are so many of them. And let me tell you, the investment in it is so, it's under $100 a month. And if you want to save a little money, don't tell the boss. You can use my promo code, Gina, G-I-N-A, and the number 10, Gina10. So go to salesgravy.university, save a couple bucks on getting the all-access pass. It's under $100 a month, even less with my code. And it has just got so much in there. It's just, I don't think we charge enough. That's just my opinion. All right. See you guys next time. Thanks for being here.